listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. All right, we are in a series called Awe of God, and um, today we're going to talk specifically about intimacy with God. Remember, all of this is taken from John Bevere's book, Awe of God, that he just finished. I highly encourage you to get this book. Um, Messenger X is an app that, can, that you can really use to help grow your relationship with Jesus. Um, we weren't paid to, to rep that. I'm telling you, I use this app. It really does help you get closer to the Lord. I highly encourage you to download it on whatever platform you have and jump in. But he's made available his teaching notes. So what we've done is we've taken his notes and then I've reworked them and kind of made them specific for us. Uh, and I just believe this is a message that needs to be shared with the body of Christ. And so I want to share today about being, uh, having, having intimacy with God, being a friend of God. So let's talk about friendship with the Lord. Y'all know the song, right? I'm a friend of God. We used to sing it back in the 2000s and all that stuff. We sing these songs about it, but it's from this specific passage of Scripture, John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his, fa- his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. Just like, think about that for a second. Wouldn't you want to be one of the disciples? D- to sit there and listen as Jesus tells you everything that his father has told you. Well, I've got some great news for you. You don't have to be one of Jesus' 12 disciples. You can be a disciple of his now and allow the Holy Spirit to do the exact same thing. The Holy Spirit says, I will teach you everything. I'll bring to your remembrance everything that Jesus said. We have the same benefit as they did. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask in the name of my Father, he will give it to you. These things I command you that you will love one another. Now, interestingly enough, it's... The qualities of a person who God calls friend, it's not bearing fruit and loving each other. Now, we would like it to be that because we would like to feel the affirmation from having done a job well. But what Jesus specifically says in verse 14, you're my friends if you do what I command you to do. Now, we've talked about this a few times over the course of this series. You just have to obey. How many of you have toddlers in here, man? Like, don't you just want your toddler to obey? Look, your life would be so much better if you just obeyed is it that hard yes i know it's that hard (laughs) obey god immediately obey even if it doesn't make sense obey god when you don't see a personal benefit obey god if it's painful obey god to completion we we talked about this last week i hope you remember them hope you've been doing them but is it possible to be a member of god's kingdom but still have missed the opportunity to be intimate with him leave it on the screen there but let me say it like this Can you be saved but miss the opportunity to be his friend? Now, the quick answer is yes, and this might jack with your theology a little bit, but just hear me out. Let's dive deeper into this. Psalm 25, 14 says this, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Now, the Hebrew word for secret, it's very interesting. It's defined as counsel. Uh, the, The Greek dictionary says it's confidentiality is at the heart of this specific term. So the psalmist isn't thinking about one secret specifically, but the totality, the the secret counsel of God for our purposes, we're going to call it just secrets for plural. And here's how we could actually read the scripture. God shares his secrets with those who fear him. So who do you share your secrets with? Acquaintances or close friends? Now, I've seen some of y'all Facebook, so you know, I mean, Facebook is one of those places where we can just share every little thing, can't we? 
and Dayton and Liberty 411. Y'all get some popcorn and have a good old time. You know everybody who's cut everybody off down the flats. You know what I'm talking about? I'm sure it's close friends that you share your secrets with. Okay? And God is no different. Okay? He, he shares his secrets with intimate close friends. And his close friends are those who obey him and embrace holy fear. And remember, holy fear is holy reverence. It's trembling at his word. It's complete obedience. That's what holy fear is about. Now, this might be hard to hear and it might challenge your theology, but, but listen to this. God is not everyone's friend. No, I don't, want, I don't like that Jesus. That's a yucky Jesus. That's a, that's a discriminatory Jesus. But, but he's not. He's not a friend to everyone in the church. Think, think, about, think about Matthew. It's like, you know, uh, uh, not Matthew, excuse me, Peter. Peter had some pretty wild moments with Jesus, right? I think we'd be able to say, you know, reading through the rest of the, the New Testament, that yes, Peter was definitely Jesus' friend. Was Peter Jesus' friend when he made the confession? Perhaps. Was he Jesus' friend when he said, hey, you need to stop talking about this crucifixion mess? And Jesus said in Matthew 16, get behind me, Satan. So, okay, let me ask you, are you a friend of God? And you can determine this whether or not you do one thing. Are you obeying him and having holy fear? So let's explore this. There are two main people in the Bible that God calls friend. One is Abraham and one is Moses. And I'm sure there are others, but we're going to focus on these two today. And Moses, just really quickly. And in Psalm 103.7 uh, the, the psalmist says about Moses, he made his ways known to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Okay, now, Moses knew before anybody else what God was going to do when it came to the Exodus. However, if you really think about it, if you really think, he may have known what God was going to do in totality, but he didn't know every little detail. I'm pretty sure standing there at the, or kneeling there at the burning bush, he didn't go, hmm, them frogs are going to be pretty wild, Jesus. And I probably didn't know that. So he had to trust God for every single step. Yeah. Kind of like us. God can give us a big picture of what might be happening, but he's not going to tell us every little individual step. Do you know why? Because we wouldn't need him then. I can prove it to you. When life is good and we know what's going on, we're controlling the things around us, we tend to step away from Jesus. Hey, I got this, buddy. I got it. Go, go deal with somebody else. But whenever things begin to hit the fan, that's when we begin to have problems. That's when we reach out. You'll be calling everybody in, Jesus. I need y'all to pray for me. We need to pray on this. Moses' story, however, to me is an encouragement that even if you feel isolated and alone and you're even running away from your problems, that God can miraculously meet you wherever you are and change everything. Some of y'all right now, even now, you're already trying to decide whether or not you are a friend of God or not. Like, am I really that or am I, I don't know. And maybe you're in a place right now where there's some sin in your life and, and you know you need to deal with that sin in your life. Or maybe you know you've been estranged from God because praying is just kind of tough and there's, they don't have enough time in the day and all that. Maybe you're in this moment right now and you think, if I obey God and I fear him, then I can be God's friend. Well, I want you to know something. God can meet you right now where you are and it's all about where your heart is. You see, when Moses saw the burning bush, he didn't run away from that. He went to God. So when you run to the Father, as the song says, you get the benefits of the presence of the Father. We have to run to the Father. Now, Abraham is another person God calls friend. We're going to spend some time on Abraham. Why was he called friend? Well, there's some things to note here first. God promised him a child when he was 75 years old. I was at a restaurant yesterday, 
And I was sitting there looking at a little baby, and it was cute and all that kind of stuff, but I was like, I cannot imagine being back in that stage. Come on, y'all. I'm 43. Can you imagine being 75 years old and having a baby? Diaper changing in 1500 B.C.? <laughs> no, thank you. You know what I'm saying? But he was 75 years old. And then listen to this. After God said, you're going to have a kid, he waited 25 more years. Some of us can't wait 25 minutes for God to do something. He waited 25 years, and because of the wait, Isaac was extra special to Abraham. Extra special. But then one day, with no advance warning whatsoever, God says to Abraham in prayer in Genesis 2, 22, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah and go sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Take your only son and, and just because Abram, he wanted Abraham to know exactly who he was talking to, he said, the one you love so much. And he goes, like, what? What are you? you that, I waited 100 years for this kid. Now you want me to go kill him? Like, what are you talking about? Abraham didn't know this was a test. He didn't know what was going on. It would have been easier for Abraham to kill himself than to kill his own kid. I've thought about this with my own child, with Viv. You know, she has the genetic issue that we go to the NIH for. And I don't know how many times I've prayed, God, just switch us. Like, just let us switch. I'll take her bad health and you give me good health, uh, give her my good health. And like, we'll switch and it'll all be good. Wouldn't you do that with your own kid? Wouldn't you want to be in the situation where they're in danger? You'd rather you be in danger and then be safe. Of course you would. Abraham was no different. And, And beyond that, why would somebody that God calls friend do this to me? Incidentally enough, Abraham wasn't a friend of God yet. I'll explain. I love Abraham's uh, his response to God's extremely difficult command in Genesis 22 and 3. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He, he got right to it. He didn't mull it over for the next few days. He didn't call friends and get their opinion. He didn't get a second opinion from another pastor. He he didn't ignore or resist God's command. I bet he didn't tell Sarah, though. That's one thing I thought about. I bet he didn't say anything to Sarah. Hey, look, uh, me and the boy, I'm going to go kill him, and I'll be right back in about three days. Excuse me? You know how hard I was 100 years old and having this child? You know, like, I'm sure he didn't tell Sarah. But he, Isaac, and two servants got up early the next morning. They packed up, and they started on their way. And two and a half days later, guess what happened? Nothing. No word from God. No explanation. No encouragement. Hey, you're on the right path. Man, what was going through his mind in that moment? There was was no reason to be doing what he was doing except that God told him to do it. And Abraham had three days to think about it. Three days to imagine himself raising the knife. And on the third day, in Genesis 22, 4 through 5, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Well, that's foreshadowing much, huh? He sees the mountain where he's going to have a sacrifice, where he's going to give every, he's going to kill his only begotten son. Verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. This is the most faith-filled verse in the whole Bible, I think. Right here. On the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. I think this is the moment. I think this is the moment where the friendship with the Lord began. 
It possibly was the moment where Abram got up, but see, over the course of those three days, he could have stopped anyway along the path and was like, okay, psych, we're going back home. But in that moment, he knew not only that God, he was going to obey God, but because he feared the Lord, he was willing to trust God with even the thing that was promised. The critical moment arrived, and could he actually do it? So in great anguish, he ties Isaac up. He raises the knife and is ready to thrust it. And all of a sudden, an angel of God appears and cries out. The knife is in the air. There's no reason for it. God's not set a reason. And an angel calls out, hey, stop. Don't lay your hand on the lad or anything to him, anything to him. For I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your only son from me. Angel must have been Irish. Don't lay your hand on the lad. How did the angel know that Abraham feared God? Because he obeyed instantly. He obeyed when it didn't make sense. He obeyed when he didn't see a benefit. He obeyed when it hurt. And he obeyed to completion. We know the rest of the story. Abraham put down the knife and we saw the, he saw the ram stuck in the thicket. God will provide. And in that moment, out of his mouth came these words. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide in Genesis twenty two fourteen. We say this all the time, especially in charismatic church. Boy, we'll jump around a pew talking about Jehovah Jireh. And there's songs about it. Just like I'm a friend of God, there's songs about Jehovah Jireh. But listen to me, some of us haven't seen Jehovah Jireh show up and provide because we haven't been willing to let go of that which has defined us. And if you will let go of the thing that's defined you, you might actually see that your hands are open to receive what God has for you. Even the promise. This land, God promises since 1818. Yeah, but if I'm not willing to sacrifice that for Him, then that's an idol and I'm just an idolater. So if I really want to see God's best in my life and I really want to see His provision in my life, I have to be, give, I have to be willing to give God anything He wants. Even the thing that I think is the promise. So you have to position yourself to receive whatever that means to you. The angel appeared and Jehovah Jireh showed up, guys. But what actually happened? Well, in that moment, God revealed a facet of his character to Abraham that no one else had ever known before. The God that provides. That day, Abraham became a close friend of God. Now, let's keep looking at this relationship for just a few more minutes here. Um, there was a situation where God came to Abraham and let him know that he was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's like, hold up a minute. They're like, it's, I got some family over there, you know. Like, what you talking about, Jesus? And so um, Abraham thought about his, his nephew. And, and we see in Genesis 18, 23, and 25, will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Now, I think this is funny because a few weeks back, we were at a lead team meeting um, for the Liberty County Pastors Association. And um, one of the guys talked about how somebody in their church, when we got that group up to 50 people, he was going to buy a steak dinner for everybody. And I looked at him and I said, now, if, now 50, that's good. But if, not, if, if there were 40, would he buy a steak dinner if there were 40? See, this is why I need to be around pastors more because like, they, they laugh their heads off because I was just quoting Genesis. Okay, I'm going to move on. God was pleased with Abram's response, but Abraham was concerned that there maybe wasn't 50, so he bargained down, God down to 10. By the way, only a friend can talk to God like this. Only a friend. The power to execute judgment? Uh, how about this? Another proof that Moses was God's friend. Remember when God was about to come in and kill everybody? Moses was like, hold up, wait a minute. Like, can you just 
hold on a second. If you do that, you're going to show everybody else. And God was like, all right, chill. I'm going to chill. I'm going to calm down, but you better talk to your friends. You know what I'm saying? Like, only a friend can talk to God like that. Coming from a servant or a subject, that would be disrespectful. Then Genesis 18.33, when the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. Let me ask you something. Are you clueless? <laughs> Rude. <laughs> are, are you... I mean, are you clueless to God's plan in your life right now? Lot was. Did y'all know that? Lot was clueless. Here's the reality. Sodom and Gomorrah were prospering. And life was good, and they'd abandoned God. They were after all just the, 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 the worst things. But they were clueless to the fact that they were two to four hours away from complete and total annihilation. Clueless. Even more sobering. Lot, whom the Bible calls a righteous man, was also clueless. So we have two righteous men. We have, we have uh, in modern terms, we have two saved, born again Christian men, Abraham and Lot. One righteous man knows God, what God is doing, and he knows it before he does it, and he helps God decide on how to handle it. The other righteous man is clueless to the impending judgment as the wicked are. Why? And here's the crux of the matter. Because the first righteous man fears God. Therefore, he's a friend of God. And in turn knows the secrets of God. The other is a righteous man, but he doesn't fear God. He's not a friend of God, and he doesn't know the secrets of God. You see, Lot serves as a big-time warning to every single one of us. Lot was called righteous by the Scripture, but he was worldly. He, he, he represents the believer who, when forced into the corner, seeks first to serve his or her own best interests and not to obey Christ. He's like, they're like the Corinthian church. And they're similar to many within the Western church. There were terrible consequences for worldliness. Ungodly offspring. Look at Lot's family. Ungodly offspring. A wife who was attached to Sodom. She loved the world more than she loved God. Now, Jesus warned us to remember what happened to Lot's wife. But, but let me ask a real honest question here. So far in this story, are you more aligning yourself with Abraham, with Lot, or with Lot's wife? Such an apt description of the church right now. It really is. Okay, so first you have someone who is really all in. They fear the Lord. They're in a relationship with the Lord. They always seem to be on the cutting edge of what God is doing. You know anybody like that? You're like, man, do you have like a direct line to Jesus or something? Like, what is going on? How do you always know what the Spirit's doing? Well, they're a friend of God. You Also, you have somebody who they're righteous, meaning they made Jesus Lord, but they're content to live in and among the filth of the world as, it, as if it's not going to have an impact on them. Well, I don't like, I don't listen to the words, I just like the music. Okay, man, whatever, bro. I said that when I was, you know, 16 too. The impact is one that Lot didn't see coming. So not only was destruction on the way and he missed it, the message that would have saved him was missed too. Had not Abraham stood in the gap for Lot, Lot would be dead too. So church, you need to hear this. I mean, you need to hear it. That like Abrahams who are in this church, I, I mean, I tell you, you've got to stand in the gap. You've got to. You've got to cry out to the Lord on others' behalf. You've got to be willing to stand in between them and God and say, hold on a second, God. If there's only 10, or God, hold on a second, don't annihilate them. Give them a chance. Abrahams, I'm calling you to stand up. Now, lots in the church, you better wake up. Listen to me. Wake up. Okay, in, in the terms of our last series, grow up. Don't you dare wait on an Abraham to pray you into safety. 
Maybe some of you have become like Lot's wife, who are just here because of family members here. There's no real interest. You just keep the peace by obeying. And one day the sky's going to fall, and what your heart is tied to, you're going to turn to. And if that's you, you might not have tomorrow, but you have right now. Start your relationship with Jesus right now. Well, I've got to come to the altar when you shut up. No, right now. Jesus, you're Lord of my life. I confess you as Lord. I believe in you, Jesus. You don't have to wait till the soft music and the altar opens to, to, to get right with Jesus. Even right now, just turn me off for a second and allow the Holy Spirit to move in your heart and get your life right with Jesus. I mentioned Jesus' reference to Lot's wife, so let's talk for just a second about Jesus and God's friends. Did Jesus open up a relationship of friendship with every single person who believed in him? The answer is no. Look in John 2, 23-24. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. The word trust is interesting. It's defined as to believe to the extent of complete faith and reliance, to have confidence in, to have faith in. Notice this trust is not reciprocated by Jesus. Now, even though people believed in Jesus completely and trusted in him and relied on him, he didn't trust all of them. He loved them. He served them. But he did not hold them at the level of friendship with everybody. That trust that God attributed to Moses was not extended to every single person that believed in Jesus. Okay, let's move forward to the Last Supper. Three years of ministry had gone by. The people there believed in him, but they were not reliable. Many followed secretly, others from a distance, others when it only benefited them. And many disciples left him, and even one at the supper betrayed him. Does, does this shed some more light on why Jesus didn't just throw that trust out there? He's sitting now with everybody that's closest to him. And with gratitude and affection, we see in John twenty two twenty eight, 28, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And those at the table... They'd been reliable. They'd stuck it out with Jesus. Judas had already left to betray him. But the ones that remained had been faithful. But listen to me right now. Even Peter would deny him after that moment. If you ever are terrified about Peter's denial, you need to go read John uh, chapter 21. It is, it is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in the whole entire Bible. That should be John 2, 28, I believe. There's no such thing as John 22. In John 15, 15, Jesus says to the 11 remaining, no longer do I call you servants. Now, the fact that Jesus says no longer means that there was a time when he looked at them as simply servants. Now, these men gave up everything. They risked everything to follow Jesus. If there's one thing that the chosen has done, it's helped me humanize the characters in the Bible, and I really see, okay, like, oh, snap. Like, I didn't really think about what they did give up to follow Jesus. I just think, oh, well, there's Matthew. He's in. No, like, what did he give What did Peter give up to follow Jesus? I mean, and they all didn't die happy little deaths, you know that. Only John was the one that got to die in old age. Well, friendship on the level of friend of God is not something that happens overnight. Remember, it's fearing the Lord. It's obedience. These are the paths to friendship with God. You can trust him. But listen, God needs to be able to trust you too. So here's a question for you. Can God trust you? If God were to give you everything right now that you've been praying for, would you, would you wreck it? Would you destroy it? Or would you get to walk out your purpose? 
Can God trust you? Now, Jesus keeping them at a servant level was not a slight from Jesus. We might look at that and think, well, that's mean Jesus. Like, come on, man. Like, well, how come everybody just can't be your friend, bro? Well, there's a reason why. Look at Galatians 4.1. As long as an heir is a minor, he's not really much different than a servant. Now, think about this. We must ask, why does God keep us all at the level of servant when we are heirs of his kingdom? It's simple, to protect us. To protect us. And here's what Jesus is saying, in essence. Until you are very established in who I am in your life and very established in who you are with me, the fear of the Lord, I need to keep you at a servant level even though you're an heir, a son or daughter of my kingdom. It's to protect you so you don't experience the similar judgment of Ananias and Sapphira who knew God but did not fear God. So what's he saying? I've written it out on the screen so you can see what he's really saying. If you don't really know what the fear of the Lord is, sonship or daughterhood will crush you. You won't understand what I ask you to do and why, and it will cause enmity between us, not friendship. So I need you at the servant level, simply doing what you're told until you learn what fearing me really is. This is a grace. It's a mercy. It's not meanness. Man alive, is that not the truth? I want my kids to obey right now simply because they don't understand that running across the parking lot is not the thing to do. But when they begin to understand the danger and fear the danger, have a holy reverence and respect for the danger, I'll let them do what they want to do in a parking lot. That's not meanness as a father. It's love for my kids. It's making sure that my kids survive to the place where they can walk out their own purpose and destiny. Jesus doesn't do anything different. Your servants for a period of time until you learn to fear him and obey him and reverence him. And then he opens his heart to friendship with you so that you can embrace everything that's, that comes with sonship and daughterhood. It's so beautiful. He's such a loving God to do that. And if you're not a friend of him, you can't understand why. Oh, just being mean. No, it's grace that he's pouring out in your life. So, if you're my friends, John 14, 15, you're my friends if. Did you know that word is a, is a, uh, is a condition? It's a conditional word. It's not automatic. If we believe in him, if we obey him. John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So, fearing the Lord, trembling at his word, Obeying instantly into completion, even if it doesn't make sense, even if you don't see the benefit, even if it's painful. You know, there are over 500 commands in the New Testament alone. 500 commands. These are not commands required for salvation. Listen to me. These are commands required for friendship. You mean I got to do all them commands? Your heart needs to be after the fear of the Lord. And guess what? When you love him, the commands come easy. But if you don't fear him, you can't possibly love him because you can't understand what he'll ask you to do. You can't understand his commands. We don't gain Jesus' trust by just believing in him. Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear him. And the greatest benefit of holy fear is to be welcomed into friendship, a friendship relationship with Jesus. Come on, that's what I want. I want to be so close to Jesus And I want to be close to him, not so I can know his secrets. I want to be close to him because of what he's done for me, who he is. The majesty and the beauty of the person that he is. The the beauty of him, not his hands and his handiwork. So where are you? Are you a friend? Are you a servant? Are you an enemy? 
the Bible says if we're still in our, our sinful ways and we haven't said yes to Jesus, we're an enemy of God. This is not somebody you want to be enemies with, guys. God wants friendship with you. Somebody ask this, what will it take today to enter into that friendship with God? Now, we constantly tell you there are three practical, easy steps to do this. I say easy. Sometimes it's not always easy. Number one is prayer. We're going to have a team up here in a few minutes. You can come get prayer right now. Hey, I need prayer on this. I need help with this. I, I struggle with obeying God. Well, they're going to pray with you about having a deeper love for Jesus because when you love him, you obey him. It's that simple. So it's prayer. Well, maybe it's following up with a connect card. There's a connect card in the seat pocket there. Fill it out. Hey, I need prayer about this. You don't have to write every little detail. Put your name and how you need prayer. Put your name and say, I'm struggling with this. Put your name and say, hey, I want to meet with a pastor this week. Let's help you. Let's do this. And then lastly, maybe it's connecting with somebody in our church for coffee. Maybe you don't have time for coffee, but maybe you have time for a text message. Hey, I'm struggling here. Do you know anything about this and how can you help? That person might say, I know exactly what you're talking about. Boom, freedom starts. They might say, you know what? I don't have any experience with that, but I know somebody in our group that does. Let me get you connected. These things don't make you a friend of God, but man alive, can they help? You have a church family for a reason. When we call to check on you guys, it's not because we want to know where you were. It's because we want to know how you're doing. We care about you. And we want to see you in a friendship with the Lord, not just in some cold, distant relationship. Y'all know y'all got those family members. Y'all see me at the reunion and that's it. I want that. I want to talk to you like you live in my house. Maybe not that close. My, my neighborhood. Okay. Can we take a moment and pray? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this moment. God, thank you that you call us to be friends. God, thank you that that's what you're wanting from us. Sonship, daughterhood, absolutely. And we believe that is the focus of your redemptive work is to get us back to the original design of son and daughter. And God, first, thank you is such an inadequate word to describe how we feel about that. It's it's. It's insane that that's what you want. But God, we are all in with it. We want that as well. But God, we also know that you call us to even a deeper level than that of of friend. God, even as I think about it with my own father, that there was a period of time where he treated me as a son and I obeyed and I did it sometimes, but I did this and another. But now I'm at a moment in my life with my own father where I'm a friend. We are friends as much as we're father and son. And God, I desire that relationship with you, and I desire it for every person under the sound of my voice. So I'm asking right now in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, help us, show us what's keeping us from walking in the level of friendship with you that you've called us to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and his people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.